0: I cannot wait to see you. Hey, it's Alicia. Today, we're excited to share an emotional and uplifting episode from a new podcast we think you're going to love. Can Are We? is a podcast from Colorado Public Radio about Latino joy. It's a series hosted by journalist May Ortega, featuring intimate stories centered on Latinos from all walks of life. They've done episodes about an amateur chef on a mission to recreate the green Chile recipe that his grandmother never put in writing a brewer who's connecting to his heritage by recreating the ancient drinks of his ancestors, and a minor league baseball executive whose life revolves around a tight-knit community of sports fans. It's a show about the moments big and small that help shape us. And the episode we're sharing today is about a woman who set out to make a documentary film about the complexities of Latino identity, even though she had never made a movie. You can follow Kiana Arwee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Here's the show. Just a heads up,
1: there is a racial slur in this episode. Growing up on the border in South Texas, sometimes I felt like I was part of two different worlds. Maybe you can relate. Home life fue un mundo mexicano, a world filled with flavors of my parents' home country. Meanwhile, my school life and the rest of the world outside of home was a slightly more American world. We were expected to speak English, know about the big American movie stars, popular American shows, things like that. And on paper, having a foot in both those worlds sounds pretty cool. Like having a little bit of everything. But it's not that simple. Denise Soler Cox knows what I mean.
2: One of the things I used to resent as a kid was when people would say, you have the best of both worlds, Denise. You're the best of both. And I would feel like, but I don't feel like that. Why don't I feel like the best of both? Yeah. It took a long
1: time for Denise to find her community. The people who made her feel like she had the best of both worlds. And when she finally did, she knew what she had to do. Make a film about this community. With little knowledge and no connections to the film industry, she set out on a 17 year journey where she learned how to help people tell their stories and discover the power of her own story. From Colorado Public Radio, this is Gin Are We?, exploring what it means to be mestice or boricua or latino or however you identify and diving into the beautiful things that make us who we are. I'm May Ortega. Denise Soler-Cox is... I'll just let her
2: tell you how she identifies... Um, I think it's it so depends on what space I'm in, I have to say. Mm-hmm. And so um, in front of Latinos, I'm a Boricua. Nice. Um, in front, in a room of allies, I'm Latina. And if they're more curious, I'll get into it. So then when someone asks you
1: where you're from, what do you say to them?
2: Well, when I was younger, I would not know how to answer the question. And I always feel trepidatious because I didn't know if I felt safe Answering the truth, which was I wanted to say Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. even though I technically wasn't born there. Okay. Um, and then, you know, as I get older, I feel like I identify as a New Yorker. But yeah, it all depends on the audience, isn't that's kind of a funny thing.
1: Denise was born in 1970, at a time when the Puerto Rican population in New York City was exploding, mostly in Harlem and the Bronx. Denise's New York was one where Puerto Ricans were inventing salsa music and the New Yorican Poets' Cafe. Orgullo Borincano, or Boricua pride, among these first and second generation Caribeños was strong. The culture was strong. But before little Denise could fully absorb all that it was to be New her parents moved the family, with her two older brothers in tow, To Westchester, New York, a predominantly white, affluent suburb to the north, definitely didn't
2: hit the same way. So it was... It's funny, looking back as an adult, it it was so beautiful. It was really Americana at its finest. Mm. And while living there, um, it was incredibly challenging from an identity point of view. I didn't know where I fit in. I found Westchester to be beautiful in hindsight, but during it was quite challenging. Denise was bullied a lot
1: as a kid in Westchester. As an adult, she made a recording where she told her brother for the first time about why living in Westchester was so tough for her.
2: But yeah, I I had to deal with it a lot. Wow. Yeah. In school? Yeah first day, seventh grade, and we're sitting in the back of homeroom, we're like, oh my God, we're in homeroom, this is so exciting. And we have all of our books and everything. And then this girl walks in the room and she's got like tons of makeup on and her hair is like hair sprayed out and her clothes are tight. And then like behind her was like this posse of girls and they all look the same. And I'm like, holy shit, these girls look scary. And they all stopped right in front of me and the girl goes, good morning, Spick. And That was the beginning of a very difficult four-year span that actually happened every single day for four years. To cope,
1: Denise began to adopt more of the suburban culture that surrounded her. But trying to fit in at school caused other problems.
2: I didn't quite fit in at home. Well... I didn't quite fit in as a Latina and within my own f- familial group, right? Okay. Uh, because I didn't speak Spanish perfectly fluently. And, I feel that. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and, um, and then also, too, because I was starting to let go of my roots, mm-hmm. uh, meaning I was starting to adopt some more, I call them self-reliant kind of tendencies okay. and uh, being more independent thinking for myself, which separated me from my family. And in hindsight, I was trying to figure out who I was in the context of inside my house felt like Puerto Rico and then outside felt like the United States.
1: Between her struggles with identity and the bullying at school, growing up was hard for Denise. And then the universe decided to pile things on and make things even harder. And this time it affected her family, too.
2: So when I was 13, my dad, um, on April Fool's Day, we always used to, you know, my dad was a very funny guy. He was the guy that you could count on to make everybody laugh, right? Yeah. He was the one that, you know, if he was there, then we were definitely going to have fun kind of person, right? And it was my father. Mm-hmm. And so on April Fool's Day, I I would always do the sugar and the salt thing. I um I did the switch the night before and then the next morning went into the kitchen and um, I'd always find my dad eating his English muffins on paper towel Mm -hmm. and he wasn't there and uh, my mom wasn't there either and uh, what happened in the the subsequent weeks is that he didn't come home he had um, stage 4 Hodgkin's disease all over his body and um, that diagnosis came in June Mm -hmm. and then he died in the beginning of August
1: In the blink of an eye, Denise went from having a traditional family unit, like most of her peers, to suddenly losing her father. It deepened her struggles with identity, yet another tick into the imaginary column of why she could never fit in. And despite her grief, the bullying at school never stopped. Now Denise felt completely alone. In her sadness and loneliness, she decided to turn to her roots, connect to them, but in a different way than she was used to. She had to be more intentional. So in high school, Denise traveled to Spain, where she soaked up the culture, the language, everything that she could over a
2: month. I stayed with a family and um, and I was to go to the school every single day to finish learning Spanish. Whoa. And um, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life because I experienced myself um, tuning into the Spanish that was already there, mm. right? I came back dreaming in Spanish and speaking Spanish. and. In Spain, people didn't ask me where I was from. In Spain, the name Soled isn't a weird name. It's actually really vanilla and boring, like, like the most typical names here in the United States, right? There was yeah. nothing special or different about me. And so I picked up all of the kind of cultural nuances very easily. So I came back just so confident, so in my power, right? Denise
1: was ready to take on life with her newfound confidence. She was processing her grief, embracing who she was. Life was good. Then tragedy struck the family again. And um
2: and then <sighs> my brother was killed in a drunk driving accident. He was um Eighteen. Wow. And um, you know, when things like that happen to a human being, it's very easy to to come to the conclusion that, you know, which is the conclusion that I came to, which was I'm, a, I'm an unlucky person.
1: Hmm. Denise kept this idea to herself like a secret. It festered as she got older. For years, she yearned to be a different version of herself, someone who's part of something big and hopeful. But she didn't know how to get there. After high school, Denise Soler Cox finally left Westchester, the home of all her childhood tragedy, By her early 20s, she was working as a graphic designer living in Miami. Things were starting to look up. She'd made many good friends. And one night, they were all hanging out. And everything
2: changed. So I was out at a bar with a bunch of friends. (laughs) And it was really just like any other night. There wasn't anything particularly interesting about the night. It was just like a night of joking and, and laughter. Love it. And then the night took a little bit of a turn, at meaning like we started, uh, we stopped joking and, and someone said something serious and someone said something that kind of tapped into nidi aki nidi aya, right? Without mm. saying that, because I don't even know if that was a saying back then. This yeah. is the and, 90s. And this phrase means that you feel like you're not
1: from one space or another, usually culturally is what we're referring to.
2: Yes. Right? and um, And someone said something that pointed to... The fact that they had experienced the same thing and I was like a little bit in a state of shock because my experience with this I could never put into words mm-hmm. it was hardly in my conscious let alone communicate right yeah. and we began to share stories that only confirmed this layers and layers of stories and things I could identify with and immediately thought I need to make a movie about this And with no training in filmmaking, no desire up until that point ever to make a movie, I started writing on napkins. I was like, wait, what did you say? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I have to include that. And nobody at the table knew I was making a movie. They just knew I was writing the stuff down, right? (laughs) And so by the end of the night, I had my stack of napkins and I got in my car and I drove down I-95 South to Coconut Grove in Miami, where I lived, with the four windows down, like... Air, air swooshing into my car, like, oh my God, I'm a filmmaker. This is amazing. Like, I was so excited for yeah. this life that I just designed for Whoa. myself, right? At yeah. this table at a bar with a bunch of friends. Wow. Because I knew deep down that if I could actually pull this off, that I could heal millions of hearts. And Rewinding back to my childhood, this is so, only something I can understand now as an adult, but as a kid, I used to tell myself, I'm going to do something really great with my life one day, and all of this, that's happening, everything that I can't, like, I could hardly deal with it as a kid, you know, that it would all lead to something amazing, So I was driving in my car. I'm like, see, I knew it. (laughs) I knew I was meant to do something great. And this is what that is. And um, I always have a joke about this, that, um, you know, there's the angel that's like, yeah, woo, yes, we're doing this. (laughs) And then the devil... Like who the hell do you think you are to do this? You know hmm. all those things. You have no film. You don't know anything do about it? making films, right? And yeah. um, that self-doubt talking to you. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. And then if you're Latino, you have your mother. You know, saying all the things oh that, that your mother says. <laughs> so by the time it was like a thirty-minute drive, but by the time I got home, I had convinced myself I wasn't good enough to do it.
1: So Denise filed her dream away just
2: as that, a dream. And it took 17 years from that point to actually have the guts to make a single
1: phone call. During those 17 years, she got married, started a family, and built a career in marketing. And by that point, she'd accomplished so much... But her biggest ambition
2: had yet to be realized. Every January 1st, I am writing my goals down and I have my to-do list, and you might mistake me for extremely type A. Oh. You okay. know? Yeah. And um and so there I was writing my goals, and I put down make movie. That's what I would always write. Every you year. Do it this year. Yeah. Every year for 17 years, just make movie, make
1: movie, make movie.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then um, I realized, wow, I'm full of poop. Like, (laughs) what am I doing writing this again? I know I'm never going to do this. And so really what it was, was the things that held me back from like really participating and fully living my life were also the things that held me back from making this film. So instead of assigning
1: herself the overwhelming task of make movie on her annual to-do list, Denise wrote two other words instead. Call Claire. Claire was only an acquaintance, but Denise knew one very important thing about her. Claire's neighbor was Henry Ansbacher, an Emmy-winning and Oscar-nominated documentary filmmaker. Denise picked up the phone. She called Claire. Then she worked her magic and landed herself a huge break, a pitch meeting with Henry. Henry she'd finally get her chance to share her idea
2: with an industry professional. And then the day that I was supposed to meet him... I dropped my kids off. I took a shower, which was very unusual for me because I had two toddlers in preschool, you know. And so I took a shower. I did my hair. I got dressed. I mean, like this is significant. And all the moms were like, "Excuse me, what are you up to today? Where are you going?" Right. And uh, and I remember rushing to my car and saying, "I have an appointment. I'm pitching. I'm pitching an, a movie idea that I have." And they're like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. Like, Where you never mentioned this." From? Yeah. And um, jump in the car and had one voicemail on my phone. And it was from Henry. Mm -hmm. And he said, Denise, I'm so sorry. I won't be able to meet with you today. And even if we did meet, I would only have like 20 minutes. Mm. And I called him back so damn fast. And I said, Henry, I just got your message. I will take the 20 minutes. I am right around the corner. See you in a few minutes. Let's do this. And I was not around the corner. I was leaving the preschool. I was at least 15 minutes away if I drove like 90 miles an hour. And I got there. I pitched my heart out at the 40-minute mark. His assistant was knocking on the window like, what are you doing? You have a call. And I remember when we walked out of the building. And he said, how serious are you about making this film? Uh, Because it's a lot of work and it costs a lot of money. And I said, you don't know me, Henry, but hopefully you'll have a chance. We'll have a chance to get to know each other. But if it takes me the rest of my life, I will do this.
1: Henry saw something in Denise. But before he committed to her project, he asked her to work on his
2: current film so he could get to know her better. And so I got a chance to work side by side with him. I got a chance to see what it was like to um, be in the theatrical production part of making a film. A year later,
1: Henry was all in on Denise's idea. Their project was finally moving along nicely. But then they hit a major roadblock.
2: Yeah, so one of the things that um, happened was that I grossly underestimated how long I would need to survive, like, on our savings. I just had no idea. And one month, we were just doing the math, my husband and I, and realized we weren't going to be able to pay all of our bills, including (sighs) our rent. Oh, my God. And I... Like immediately knew what we needed to do and and suggested it to him, not knowing how he felt about it um, and that was to sell our wedding rings gosh as difficult as it was to make that decision and to actually do it. Thank God we had them to sell because it it helped like stitch together a little bit more time to get to the next milestone, you know? Yeah. Um, the hardest part of that experience was um, going to different pawn shops in Denver and uh, and then, like, handing my ring over and then them telling us what it was worth. And we had to walk oh, in with our kids and we were very young at the time and it was humiliating. I and bet. it was... Um, I, I really, really... Um, questioned what the heck I was doing. Like, what kind of person does this?
1: Her sacrifice paid off, literally. The money from the rings helped move things forward. Soon, Denise and Henry began recording interviews. The project was called Being Enya. Enya is also that letter N in the Spanish alphabet with the little tilde over it. For Denise, the project was about telling other people's stories, but her co-creator recognized the power
2: of Denise's story. You know, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I remember the day that he said, Denise, I think that we need to tell the story through your life. We need to, you need to be the main character of this film. And I was like, hell no. <laughs> That's not what you had hell in mind. Hell to the no-no. Yeah, like, what? I like spent, I, like, because that means I knew I knew what it meant. I knew it meant me sharing stuff that I wasn't ready to share, me being willing to talk about things that I really wasn't interested in talking about. I wanted other people to talk about those things and capture it and make this incredible story. Henry insisted that Denise was one of those people,
1: and as they traveled across the country, interviewing hundreds of Enyes, learning about their own struggles, Denise began to feel less alone, like maybe she could tell her story, just like them.
2: It took me a long time to figure out who I am. I am an Enye. No, it's not a cult or part of some new age movement. It's a group of people here in the United States that is 16 million strong and growing. A group of people that found themselves stuck between two worlds because they were born in the United States to parents who were born in Spanish-speaking countries. Sometimes we don't feel Latino enough and sometimes we don't feel American enough, but we are both. We are Eñez, Sandwiched between two cultures, navigating an uncharted road. This is our story.
1: Yeah. 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 And it sounds like you, this has been a very emotional journey for you. Yeah. Um. And in the film, there's a lot of emotional moments. Mm-hmm. And one of them... Is when actor Luis Guzman, yeah. when he's talking about his, his daughters, mm-hmm. he gets real emotional. Uh, did that, does this happen a lot when you're talking to people about these kinds of things, about identity, family, all this stuff? Do people get
2: emotional often? Mujer, every time. Really? I- I'd be hard pressed to think of a time where it didn't happen. And so these things that are hurtful and difficult and challenging, it's like we have a place, yeah, and the bottom drawer all the way in the back, uh, I never opened that drawer. And here I am saying, knock, knock, you wanna talk about this? How did it feel for you? Show me your drawer, pull it all out, put it all out there. And then I would share, and Henry said, you have such a unique interview style, how you share about your experience before they talk. And I see that that's the way in. And that's what I would do, because I know it's hard to talk about these things. And I know if, if I show you my drawer, uh, that maybe you might show me yours, you know. And yeah. if I say this hurt me and this is what I went through and really replicate what happened at the bar that night. Mm-hmm. Really just share these things and see, like, is it also true for you? And it always is. Yeah. It always is.
1: Denise and Henry completed Being Enya in 2016 and began screening it across the country. They successfully created a film that unites people in their shared experience of Latinidad, brownness, and the complexities that come with it. How did creating this film change how you feel about yourself
2: and your own identity? It it helped me. Making this film gave me the gift of being able to forgive myself for all that I believed was deficient and not good enough. Hmm. Like I spent a lifetime in the practice of um, lacking those emotions away. And it just so happens that unlocking that and letting it out is what made it all work. Mm-hmm. And I found freedom in that. I found, uh, I found a Denise that I loved. Let's start the interview off with saying your full name. My name is Guadalupe Olvera Hurt. I am Saida Rivera. Christopher Reeve Linares.
0: I'm Charles Carpenter. Hey, my name is Luis Guzman, member of the universe. My name is Richard Montoya.
2: Edwin Torres. Enyas
1: are pretty common around the globe. I'm one. Maybe you're one too. It's a great thing to be, if I do say so myself. Denise Soler-Cox is a Boricua filmmaker from New York City, based in Denver. She and her business partner, Henry, continue to produce films that tell our stories. You can find a link to her documentary film, Being Anye, on our website and in the show notes. Thank you, Denise, for opening up to me and telling your story of perseverance and belonging. I'm May Ortega. This episode was produced and mixed by Luis Antonio Perez. The episode was edited by Aaron Jones and Anna Campbell. Pedro Lumbrano wrote our theme music. You can find a list of everybody who helped make this episode in the show notes. YNR is a production of Colorado Public Radio. And uh, something that I was wondering, did you uh, ever get your wedding rings replaced?
2: I got the I got an email from the jeweler right before I came into the studio, telling Incredible. me that the rings were <laughs> are ready.